Well, how are you doing? Come on, you can do better than that. All right. I needed that. I know it's lunch. Everybody have a good lunch. Yeah. Well, you got one more here, and uh, you got me. Woo! My name's... Yeah! My name... That's not my name. Uh, My name's Greg Miller. I'm pastor at the Firehouse Church uh, in Arvada, Colorado, just right outside of Denver. Uh, Glad to be here with you. I'm going to pray here in a second. Appreciate you praying with me. Um, My family and I have been sick for the past two weeks. Uh, I'm at the tail end of it. I don't think I'm contagious. Don't worry. Um, My poor wife has been in bed for 10 days, uh, so you can pray for her. Um, I may cough. If I cough, I'm sorry. Please stand up. Give me a standing ovation or something. No, please don't do that. Um, But yeah, we'll give it a go here with these things. So um, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll jump into talking about what the Lord has for us here. So, Heavenly Father, it's good to be in your presence today. Uh, and we ask that your grace would flow and abound to us, that uh, your spirit would, would quiet our hearts and give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, not because I have some profound message, Lord, it's your message, it's your words, it's your truth. I think it's it's who you are that we're going to talk about this afternoon. And Lord, I thank you for the guys who've, who spoke before me and last night and the, the things that you brought to us through them. God, I pray they would land in our hearts. God, I think about these young people, these teenagers, and uh, the journey that you have for each one of them is an amazing and wonderful opportunity uh, to be light to a dark world. God, I pray that they would be light, that the things that are shared this weekend would land in their hearts and would change and somehow shift them and give them just whatever a little bit of course correction is maybe needed or maybe a big course correction. God, I pray for my voice that I would not cough very much here as, we, as I speak today. God, I pray that your truth would reign supreme. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so on August 8th of 2023, uh, there was a hurricane named Dora that was tracking across the Pacific Ocean. And as it tracked across on this date, uh, it created a unique uh, weathering pattern for the islands of Hawaii. Um, It did not hit, the the hurricane did not because of how things were moving. It created significant winds, uh, particularly on the island of Maui, Uh, winds were gusting up to 65 miles an hour. Um, At 7 a.m. on August the 8th, the power line went down right outside of the town of Lahaina. So, as you know, often happens with a power line. It goes down, sparks fly, a fire started. This fire was contained, um, and they put the fire out, and the fire department left. But at about 3.30 in the afternoon, because of the sustained winds, it flared up again. Within four hours, the vast majority of the town was destroyed, burnt completely to the ground. 
Residents were fleeing for their lives. Some had to leap over the wall and into the ocean to get away from the flames and the smoke as it moved through the town. At the end of it, when all was said and done, 2,200 structures were burned. 1,900 of those were residences. 100 people lost their lives because they were unable to escape. This disaster affected almost 8,000 families. It was estimated in this fire that temperatures reached over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It melted glass, aluminum, and in some cases even steel. You can see in this, the picture on the left is a map of the little town. Everything in red was destroyed completely. Months later, so many question marks remain at the town of Lahaina. How will they move forward? How will the people in the town make it? Can they ever rebuild it? And this is the dramatic moment where I say, the decisions you make today as a teenager have the potential to destroy your life and burn it down like a 2,000-degree fire. Okay, that was dramatic. But what I want to say to you today is not that. What I want to share with you is my strong belief that it's not actually really the decisions you make. It is the decisions you make. But I think it's even more important to make decisions from the right framework. Because I truly believe you can make good decisions out of a bad framework and still burn down your life. So what is the framework I'm going to talk about today? Well, I bet most of you here could probably give a good Christian answer and say, oh, faith in Jesus, right? And you're like, yeah, okay, that's true. But I would like, want to push us a little further this afternoon to say, what really is at the center of our faith? What's really at the middle? What is it that makes our faith different than all of those other worldviews? Right? The topic for this weekend is what I wish I knew in high school. Did I get that right? I think I got it right. Whatever, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? And so for me, I said when they first brought this up, they were like, what did you wish you knew in high school? And I was like, first of all, I was like, I wish I knew my wife. I was like, wait a second, I actually did know my wife in high school, so that didn't work. Uh, So I was like, okay, what would I like to have known? It wasn't that. What I wish I had known was what was at the center of the faith that I possessed. So to set the table for this, I think maybe you need to know a little bit more about me when I was a teenager. So, you know, get ready to laugh, I think. In a lot of ways, I was just an average kid, the youngest of two. My parents were married. This is me. You were laughing at my outfit. But I am on the top of Long's Peak, so there you go, right? I lived in the Colorado Springs suburbs, unbeknownst to either of us. Paul Pavlik and I were neighbors, living in the same place. As a teenager, I was a little bit short. I was a little bit small. I was a little bit shy. I was a little bit sheltered. I was a little bit nerdy. or Maybe I was a lot nerdy. I was quite a bit uncertain about myself. By appearances, I did all right. I was a two-sport athlete, although I was not great at either of those. <clears throat> I got straight A's 
in high school. I was never in any serious trouble with anybody. I had a great group of friends. That's me, second from the right. And it's just as an aside, you guys, the friends you, friendships you can make in high school as teenagers can last your lifetime. All of these guys, even the two guys in the back, I'm friends with all of them today. We are all in each other's weddings. The guy in the very back, right beside you, can tell I'm the one with the hat. I'm not the one with the duck. I'm the one with the hat. The guy behind me to the left was the best man in my wedding. I was the best man in his wedding. I'm really excited he's moving to Denver this spring. We haven't lived in the same town in 20 years, so I'm really excited about that. I just want to share that. You can have good friends in high school, and they can last a lifetime, and you can be a bunch of goofs like we were. Spiritually, I became a believer at the age of five. At the age of 14, I decided I was going to own my faith. I had great discipleship input from my parents, from my youth pastor, from my mentors, from a bunch of peers. I was heavily involved in my church. I'd go to a church service every Sunday morning, then I'd go to a youth service right after that, and we'd have youth group on Sunday night, and we'd go to a midweek Bible study every week. I was serving. I taught Sunday school. I did service projects. I went on mission trips, three different ones in high school, to Kentucky and California, and this one to Russia. <clears throat> but in the midst of all of this stuff, all these things that seem so good... I was missing something. Something inside of me, if you went and talked to this guy on the screen here at that time in 1996, there was something unsettled. And although I had a lot going on for me, and I probably from the outside looked like I was a good kid, on the inside I was really churned up with a bunch of guilt. Now, it wasn't because I was doing something majorly bad. I didn't have some like secret sin that nobody knew about or anything like that. I just felt guilty all the time because I just couldn't get everything right. Every time I messed up, every time I sinned, I was overwhelmed by this deep sense of failure. My feeling was, how could God love someone who keeps messing up, who just can't get it right? I also, in this process of feeling so guilty, I started to become very judgmental of other people, especially when they wouldn't live up to the high moral standards I set up, and I would look down on them, and this extended beyond just like big stuff down to the minute stuff, like music choices and clothing, and as you could see, people probably should have been judging me on my clothing choices. So on the outside, I was a good Christian kid, But on the inside, I was in turmoil, and I was sitting on the seat of judgment towards other people, right? And so you add to all of this the changes of life that happen when you're a teenager, and then when I was 18, I moved 1,600 miles away from home to attend college. Now, here's a good piece of news for all of you facing some of those decisions of growing up and moving out and moving away. The good news is that God goes with you. God went with me, and he was already there. He was ready to meet me in my need of this. And so at at this point when I was 19, I was on yet another mission trip trying to make God happy, so I thought. And on this trip, we studied the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, we came to chapter 5, and I came across this verse. It says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. 
So take a stand. Never let anyone put a harness of slavery on you again. And this verse stopped me dead in my tracks, and I realized it was so obvious I was not living a free life. I realized as I read this and I thought about it and prayed about it, I was a slave. I was a slave to guilt over what I perceived were my failures and shortcomings. And so ultimately, I came to see that the foundation of the Christian faith was really, from what I understood, what I do still understand is really tied up in this, in properly understanding freedom. Properly understanding freedom. See, freedom is a word we throw around a lot, especially here in America, right? We talk about the freedom of laws, the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, press, religion, freedom of guns. Somebody says amen, right? There's always somebody who's excited about guns. We also have the freedom of thought and ideas. But this chapter in Galatians, it tells us what God really intends spiritual freedom to be, right? So you go on to verse 6, and it says this, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And I put that verse up there, and right now a bunch of you are probably feeling very uncomfortable, and all the guys are squirming like, oh my gosh, he said circumcision not once but twice, <laughs> right? But don't focus on that. We're not going to focus on the ins and outs of circumcision. We just need to understand what does it represent in this verse? And what it represents is it's the height of Jewish obedience to the law of who Paul was writing this letter to, is saying, this is what you think is like, if you're going to be doing things absolutely right, this is what you're going to be doing. He means doing the right thing following the rules. So what he's really kind of saying here is doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing doesn't matter to God. Wait, what? God doesn't care if I do the right thing? Is that what he's saying? Okay, let me explain what he means. Paul doesn't say it doesn't matter to God. He says it doesn't count. Well, doesn't count towards what? Well, two ways he's talking about here that it doesn't count. It does not count towards your standing with God. And when we say standing, we just mean how you're viewed, right? How you're viewed, right? A number of you probably have jobs, right? Some of you work part-time for somebody, and you probably have a boss, and you've sort of figured this out. Oh, how do I get good standing with my boss? You work hard, right? Probably not working hard is not going to get you good standing with your boss, but you need to work hard, have good standing with your boss. Now, maybe some of you kind of that's kind of how it works with your parents, too, right? Oh, I need to, like, kind of do the right thing and do it, and I'll have a good standing with my parents, right? And, you know, I'm like Steve and Dove. I know a lot of your parents. I know that's probably not their heart. Their heart is more like God's heart for you. But sometimes we can believe that, oh, okay, I work hard, I do good things, and then I get good standing, and I don't work hard, and I don't do good things, and I have a bad standing. This verse tells us it's not that way with God, Being good does not make you closer to God. Being bad does not make you further from God. And this was so radical when Paul wrote this. He's again talking to a Jewish audience, right? Well, what is the Jewish view? Well, guess what? The Jewish view then is still the same Jewish view today. Some of you may be familiar with this guy, Dennis Prager, one of my favorite commentators. I love what he has to say. He's very wise. He's Jewish. I heard him speaking recently 
And someone asked him, what is the Jewish view on how do you get to heaven? He said, be a good person. That's the Jewish view. Be a good person. If I ever had the chance to run into Dennis Prager in the airport, I'd probably ask him, how do you define what a good person is? Because then you're putting a line somewhere and somebody's just on this side of it. And they just missed it. I just told one too many lies, right? I don't know. That's the view. Paul is taking this further than just the idea of heaven into the idea of you're standing with God. How does God view you? He's saying this. He's saying God loves you at the maximum level. This is my cheesy little graphic, right? This is the levometer. God's love for you is at the maximum, but this is not like a speedometer, right? It's not like the thing's gonna like go back down to like low or media. I don't even know why those aren't in order, right? <laughs> Maybe the internet is a great play, great thing, and sometimes it's wacky. But it's kind of like it just has pegged over. God's love has pegged over for you at the maximum level, and it's stuck. And the proof of that is this, Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, most of us, if you were like me, I bet a lot of you are like I was. I was a kid, and you grew up, and you went to church, and you were all those things, and you could just like blah, 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 recite this verse. But think about what it's saying. I have four sons, and I think just about all of you, I don't know most of you, some of you I know, you're all here. You know what? And if someone was like, hey, someone's got to die, I'd be like, I'll die for any of these people, right? I would. And they're like, someone's got to die here. Okay, I'll, I'll die. But if they were like, someone's got to die, I wouldn't be like, yeah, one of my sons can go die for you. No, I don't love you that much. God loves you that much. God loves you that much. He sent his son to die. But more than just die, he died for you, what does it say? While you were still a sinner. He didn't need you to acknowledge your sin. He didn't need you to pay any restitution for it. That is maximum love. I can't think, I've put my mind to it for years. I can't think of how someone could love somebody more than that. God loves us at the maximum level, and therefore, he can't love us any less. And I know that's hard for us, right? Because we're constantly surrounded by this idea of like, well, I'm falling in love, or I'm falling out of love, and you know how it is. You're teenagers. That's how it goes. God is not that way. Thank you, God, that you're not that way. (laughs) The second thing that Paul says when he says it doesn't count is that it doesn't count towards our inner character change. So we get asked this, is it right to do whatever I want? You guys will all be like, no. Right, why not? Now the world would say, yeah, do what you want. Obey your thirst or whatever the slogan is these days. Why not? Because it's selfish. I love these guys. Do you guys love these guys? The guy on the left, his name is Professor Bunsen Honeydew. It's like the best name ever. And his assistant, anyone know what his assistant's name is? Beaker, yeah, and what is, Beaker speaks with one word, what is it? Me, right? He's like, speaks in selfish language. Me, 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 right? That's selfishness. Is selfishness high character or low character? Low character. 
Is selfishness true love? No, it's not true love. So what if I am standing here and I say, I want to do something right. I want to do something good so that I can get closer to God. Whose interest am I acting in? My own. That makes me, 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 selfish. That's low character. That's not good. If I'm trying to do the right thing so that I can get closer to God, I'm trying to improve my own standing, I'm being selfish. I'm Beaker. I don't know. Beaker's probably not actually selfish. That's just how he talks, right? Doing the right thing as a way to get closer to God actually won't make me get any closer to God. God loves me at the maximum level. I can't make him love me anymore. And he cannot love me any less. This is what I was missing when I was a teenager. This is what I was missing. I was in bondage. I was in slavery to the idea of doing good. I was trying to do the right thing so that God would be pleased with me. I started my faith journey and I received the free gift of salvation, but I wasn't relying on God's sacrifice of Jesus Christ for my standing with him. I was foolishly trying to earn his approval by doing good. And then I was feeling guilty and I started to feel judgmental when I wasn't good. So that's what I wish I knew when I was a teenager. And so hopefully at this point you're tracking with me and maybe some of you are thinking this sounds a little bit like you. But so that we can understand this better, I want to you know, kind of give you, you know, a couple other angles for looking at this, right? First off, I say this, and then you might be asking the question, so why does a Christian obey God by doing the right thing? If God loves me so much, why should I do the right thing? And so I'll try to answer that. And then I want to look at four types of people that amounts from you know, how it pertains to obedience and good deeds, right? So we'll start with that first question. If I understand that freedom means that nothing I do or I, or I can't do or won't do will ever change my standing with God, why? Why should a Christian obey God? Why should I obey him by doing good? Why should I do that? God's love is unconditional. Well, thankfully, we go back to Galatians 5, and Paul answers that question in verses 13 to 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And I so appreciate, Steve, what you were saying, you, you reap what you sow. That's a good reason to do the good things, right? We're being told, hey, we have this freedom. And so we think about the gospel, we say, okay, I have the gospel, so if you don't really believe the gospel, why would you do something good? Will you just be doing it again for your own sake, for that selfish person? You either want to satisfy your flesh and say, I'm going to do something good because it's going to make me feel good, or you're going to say, I'm going to do something good because I think that may make God more pleased with me. But both of those are selfish. Both of those are operating in my own self-interest. But if you really believe the gospel and you really understand the freedom that it's talking about, you obey God. Why? Because you love him. You love him. Your belief about what Jesus has done for you energizes you. It's like salvation is the battery that rends you. 
So then you can ask this question and say, okay, God's given us a bunch of instructions, right? So we think about the Bible, you know, the basic instructions before leaving earth, right? I've got these instructions for how we should live. Okay, why did he give those to us? Did he give them to us for our harm, to like cramp our fun and our style and make things boring? Or did he give them to us out of love? Well, of course, he still loves us at the maximum level, so of course he gave us these instructions out of love. So if he's given us instructions out of love, maybe I should obey them in response to that love, right? So if you're a believer, here's why you should be striving to obey God's instructions. First, because Christ loves you. Unconditional love calls for an unconditional response. Not because, oh, I'm gonna do the right thing because then God will give me something but because of who he is and because of what he's done for me. My actions and my choices, again, they can't make God's love go up and they can't make God's love go down. The second reason is because salvation compels me to do good out of love. We see that in in Titus chapter two, verses 11 and 12. It says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's not, oh, you know, oh, Why? Because God's been gracious to us. That's why we say no to ungodliness if we understand the gospel. I obey the Bible because it tells me what's best for me. I strive to say no to doing the wrong things and to say yes to doing the right things because I'm trusting that this is what God has as best for me and he's designed it that way. It's like I'm operating within the system he's designed. And so that's really the essence of the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day, right? We sometimes think about, well, someone just needs to hear the gospel and be saved. It's like, yeah, that's true. But we all need to preach the gospel. It's like we need a battery recharge every day because the flesh and the world and the devil just wants to come in and choke it up in our lives. So I would encourage you. I wish I'd known that when I was a teenager to remind myself every day, why should I make good choices? Oh, because God loves me. That's why I should make good choices. Right? All right, so I'll give you a little illustration here. Here's good old Charles Spurgeon. He's going to talk about the carrot. And so he was a preacher in like the 1800s, and he had some awesome things to say, but he gave this illustration. I'll just read it to you because I think it's really helpful that it kind of illustrates, that's why it's an illustration, it illustrates this concept. So he said this. Once in an old kingdom, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot in his garden. Well, this man loved his king, so he came and presented the carrot to the king, saying, this is the best carrot my garden will ever grow. Receive it as a token of my love. Now, the king saw the gardener's heart of love and devotion and saw that the gardener wanted nothing in return. This moved the king, and he then gave the gardener more land for his garden. So the gardener went home rejoicing. Now, a wealthy landowner at court overheard this conversation, and he thought to himself, hmm, if that is the response the Lord makes to such a small gift, what will he give in response to a great one? So the next day, he brought the king a fine horse, saying, this is the best horse my stables will ever grow. Receive it as a token of my love. But the king saw the landowner's heart, and in response, He just received the horse and dismissed the landowner. When the king saw the look of confusion on the man's face, the king said, 
The gardener's gift was a gift out of love, but you are just trying to make a profit. The gardener gave me the carrot, but you gave yourself the horse. So do you see the point of this story? If you know that God offers his salvation to you freely and there is nothing to do but to accept the perfect righteousness of his son, then you can look at the instructions found in the Bible and you can say, I will obey these because he loves me, right? But if you think that, okay, he saved me, and if you're like me when I was a teenager, okay, he saved me, but he's given me these rules, and so I'd better follow all of these rules so that he'll keep loving me. You've missed the point. And if you're doing that, you're actually serving yourself. You're being selfish. I was being selfish. I was loving myself. I was missing the essence of the gospel. I was missing the freedom that was offered there, right? Okay, so is this the only way to miss the gospel? No, it's not. In fact, there's really sort of four ways to approach obedience to God and doing good deeds. And so uh, Dev will probably appreciate this. It's kind of a mathy looking thing. It can kind of, it's like a matrix, right? That's like a math term, right? I made a matrix for us, all right? Okay, so we're gonna have four types of people, right? Everybody is either gonna be obeying God or disobeying God, right? There's not kind of a middle ground. There's not like kind of obeying God, right? So you only have the two there, right? And then you can have, in my life, I'm gonna rely on my deeds for standing with God or I'm not gonna rely on my deeds. Same for God. Everybody understand that? All right, so the first kind of person, person number one, is the religious zealot, in quotations, right? That's kind of a label I've given, right? And so this person is relying on their deeds and obeying God, right? So typically, this is, you know, somebody who claims a religious value system, right? Which it could be any religion, right? It could even be Christianity sometimes. That's why you got to be really careful, right? You're like, oh, so-and-so is a Christian. It's like, well, are they? You know, I don't know, right? You got to ask that, right? And so this person typically kind of wants everyone to see their good deeds, right? This is kind of where I was when I was a teenager, right? I wanted everybody to see my good deeds, but deep down, I was insecure, right? How can I really know if I'm pleasing God or not, right? And we see this all the time. I was thinking about, I have a colleague in the the engineering company I've worked for for the past two decades, um, and he happens to be Jewish, um, and he has this real problem with gift giving, right? Where if you give him a gift, you're going to get a gift back. It's like he just couldn't accept a gift. He had to sort of like give something back to you that's larger. And so like we've like been through this cycle before, like give him a gift and he gives me something back larger. And so then I give him something larger and he gives me something larger. And I'm like, someday he's going to give me a house, right? Hasn't done that, right? But you're sort of caught in a cycle of like, I've got to keep going. I'm really insecure. I got to keep giving. <clears throat> so the religious zealot, zealot type of person is often very sensitive to criticism And then even think about prayers, right? Like this person is like, I'm gonna pray for something. And then when their prayers aren't answered, it's like, oh no, I must have done something wrong. And there's all this guilt and shame that comes rolling in, right? So that's one way. Second person is what we would call the self-deprecator. This is a person who like, this is kind of a weird one, a little bit. It sounds a little weird, right? Like how can you be like 
relying on good works and yet disobeying God, right? But that's kind of the idea, right? This is a person who would have a lot of religious conscience in their mind, but they are openly not living consistently with it, right? So I would think of this as the kind of person who if you're like, oh yeah, I go to church, and they would say, oh, I feel so guilty when I don't go to church. And you're like, you know you should go to church and yet you're not going. You're, you're relying on good deeds and you're not doing them, right? So that's kind of where they're at. There's typically a lot of religious conscience but they're just not living openly with it. They have, they have all the self-guilt. A lot of mood swings happens for a person like this. They know what good is, but they're choosing not to do it. Um, and sometimes it can be difficult to engage somebody like this in a conversation because they feel so guilty. And you're like, let's talk about something, quote-unquote, religious. And they're like, oh, I just feel so guilty. I don't want to talk about it, right? Second person. Third type of person. We move over. We would call the self superior person. That person is not relying on their good works and they're disobeying God, right? Um, This is usually like anybody who would be intellectually secular uh, or um, a lot of times they'll describe themselves as, oh, I'm non-religious, which actually just means they're religious about their non-religiosity, right? There really is no no such thing as a non-religious person. They're just choosing their moral standards, for themselves, because you can't actually exist in a place with no morals, right? There's going to be morals. You're either accepting them from somewhere else or you're making them up for, your, for yourself, right? And so these folks are typically, they're like, I've created my own moral standards and I'm meeting those standards, right? Maybe not put it that way, but that's what they're doing. Um, and so they'll feel righteous in their own mind and they'll act superior towards other people, right? That's why they're self-superior. I'm so righteous, I'm fulfilling the law. And you're like, the law you made up for yourself, right? That's them. And so then, of course, there's the fourth group of people, which are the gospel believers, right? That's where we all want to be. This is the true biblical Christian position. You're making choices on what you do because Jesus died for you. And he died for you while you were still a sinner. And so now you can live free of self-righteousness and free of guilt, right? And so you say, oh, okay, this person is obeying God. Well, how are they obeying? Because of love and honor and worship. Your good deeds become worship for God because you're going, oh, this isn't getting me closer to God. I'm not getting anything out of this. This is for him because of what he's done for me. I am living in light of a God who loves me at the maximum level. And so obviously, God's design for us and our hope is that we would live in sort of that number four quadrant over there, right? If we've received the free gift of salvation, and let's be clear, it's free, right? All you have to do is receive it. It's not dependent on your good works. But all of us, me too, still struggle. We still struggle in that, and we're going to have days and seasons where we're going, ah, this is really hard, right? We can be saved, and yet we can sort of slip into that path of, I'm going to rely on my goodness to be secure, to feel righteous. I can be saved, but I can still beat myself up with guilt and, and about my failure and sin, and I can be saved, and yet I can also act and feel and tr- the superiority and treat other people that way and be judgmental towards other people. And because we can slip into those seasons, those days 
and those weeks sometimes of struggle, that's why we have to remind ourselves daily about the freedom of the gospel. Ah, I gotta live in freedom. So what does it look like to be a gospel believer and understand this core, this framework from decision-making? Well, I put a few things up here, and hopefully this would be helpful as you think about things, and you go, okay, obedience. So instead of obedience to God to earn his favor, how about obedience because of God's favor shown to me through his son who died on the cross in my place? And we think about differences. Oh, instead of being fixated on, oh, how am I different from other people? How am I, how are we all different? How are we, right? Which almost always is like an overgeneralization, right? Instead of that, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna be concerned for people's needs. I'm gonna have love for other people. Why? Because Christ has loved me. Now, when it comes to humility, instead of a forced humility, a false humility, which usually is, trying to humble other people to make yourself feel better. It's a true humility of saying, wow, I'm a wretched sinner who is saved by God's grace. Now, what about on the idea of issues, right? And issues could mean like issues or people's needs or you know, even justice, right? Social justice is a big thing these days, right? So instead of thinking about, oh, the goal of ministry, when we say ministry, we just mean like the Christian life. Like instead of the goal of my life is fixing all of these issues and needs, we would say, oh, I see these issues and needs and social justice as a, as a bridge for the gospel to getting this good news because that's what really matters is the good news, right? Say instead of a focus on the moment, a focus on eternity, I like to think about it in terms of fire, right? All the teenage boys are like, yeah, fire. You like fire, right? And I would compare it with fireworks, right? Fireworks are really cool. They light up the sky for an instant, and then it's gone. And you're like, well, we better get some more fireworks, and more and more, right? But it just kind of goes on versus like a campfire, which you're like, okay, well, that doesn't blow up in the sky, but gives you heat, and it gives, you know, it can cook your food if you're camping, like if you like to do that kind of thing, right? And it can help you and it can provide light and warmth and all these things. And actually, if you look at it, it's pretty cool, but it's not blowing up in the sky, right? And that's kind of eternity is the fire and the moment is the fireworks. And so where is our focus? Oh, when I understand where God, what God has done for me, then I can be focused on eternity, not on the moment. And then lastly there, instead of having this superiority or this hostility, right, creating a hierarchy of, well, how does everybody stack up on the hierarchy here? I go, ah, it doesn't, there's, a, there's not really that many differences between us. We're all equal because we're all sinners in the sight of God. And he'll save every single one of us regardless of all of those things, and we can have true unity. So that's what I wanted to share with you today, that it's the question to ask is not just, will I do the right thing, Right? And that's true, and I agree with Stephen. There's, there's no disagreement here. It is. You will reap what you sow, and that's a good reason to do it. But I think the issue is not just, oh, I don't want things to go bad. It's, what has God done for me? Will I make my decisions based upon that freedom that I have in Christ Jesus? And that's my hope for you, because again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. You can. You could say, I'm gonna make all the, all the good decisions I can. I'm just gonna knuckle down and do it. 
you could still destroy your life because you have not accepted the freedom that is at the heart of salvation that's offered by Jesus Christ. All right, I'll pray. Yeah, God, thank you for the good news and that there's freedom for us, that we have the freedom to live a free life. And that freedom doesn't just mean, oh, I can do whatever I want because that's selfishness and that's bondage and that's slavery. We say, I have freedom to do the right thing with no strings attached. And that what we'll reap in the end is almost just like the bonus. It's the bonus. And God, I pray for these young people that they would grasp this truth, this, this simple truth about the gospel that it is freedom. That they can make choices for good, choices to honor you, choices to worship you, choices to obey you. They could do it out of love. I think about the men up here who've spoke before me and the sacrifices they've made in their life that the world would say, that was crazy. You changed your degree from that to that and you dug up rocks from a hillside and like, what, what are you doing? And we just go, wow, look at, the, look at what God did. It was worship. I know those men made these decisions because they love you and because you love them. God, help us to grasp that. Help us to be reminded every day. Lord, I would be just so enthusiastic if every one of us here would wake up every morning and say, before we got out of bed, thank you, Lord, that you love me at the maximum level. And help me to make my decisions today in light of that truth. God, we do just declare that to you today, that we love you We thank you for what you've offered to us. We thank you that you sent your only son to die in our place while we were still sinners and we didn't even recognize it. You did it for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In his name we pray, amen. All right, thanks, thanks, Greg. I think each of those four messages just complemented each other so well. So I think God gave us a lot of, a lot of good stuff um, this weekend. So we are. I know it's middle of the afternoon again. It's easy to feel feel sleepy. We're going to take another another good break here, so you can hang out. You can play in the gym some more. Um, but we are going to do our Q and A also. And so we we have our four four pastors that shared here, and so they're going to answer some questions up here in in a bit. Um, and remember, we, we have our question table over there. So if you still want to get in some questions, why don't you go over there and write them in just the next few minutes. And then um, in probably 15, 20 minutes, we're going to collect them all and, and divvy them up a little bit. And then we'll answer them. And let's, um, let's be back here at 345. Okay, 345, we're going to be back here. And then we're going to go through that Q&A together. All right, so let's take that break.